good to see you. My name is Luke. I'm the teaching pastor here at Legacy Church. And uh, it's good to have you here as people start traveling and it starts to smell like Thanksgiving and look like Thanksgiving. It's good to see you. I love this time of year. Uh, um, listen, if you're a guest, we've been going through a series called Stuff Jesus Never Said, um, where we've been approaching things that our culture believes that Jesus said, or even maybe some things we, our flesh kind of believes that Jesus has said. And we're looking at the text to see what he has actually said. And today we finish that series. We're going to go out with a bang a little bit. Um, it's been a fun series, but if you have a Bible or an app you use, turn to Matthew 5. Check that. Turn to Matthew 6. <laughs> it's all the same, right? Matthew 6, and then we're going to float forward to Matthew 7 a little bit, but that giant chunk of Scripture is going to lead us well. It's going to show us today particularly how good God is to us. How good God is to us. That's what I'm going to want you to walk out of here with. Do we have any film buffs in here? Like real film buffs. Like the ones that think they're a critic and they disagree with all the other critics. Right? Any of you? I'm one of those people. Um, listen, film critics, they rarely agree on, on much at all. But one thing I do see a little bit of an agreement with is I, I studied film for a little bit in college. and I, I still kind of look into what people say about different films. And one thing that has always stood out is that if you add scripture to the script in a film, it totally changes the scene. I mean, even critics all agree on that. Um, what about, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil? Where do we find this? We find this in Psalm 23 or in scary movies, right? That's what people say right before the demon jumps out of the shadow or a zombie comes waltzing out. Usually somebody that grew up with a religious background and they don't know what to say because they're so freaked out, so they just start quoting things, and Psalm 23 is one of them. How about this one? Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. Where do we find that? Find it in 1 Corinthians and in wedding scenes, right? That's what adds the, the spiritual credibility to a wedding scene. It could be this cheesy movie um, but once they start saying that, it makes you feel like the wedding is more real. But this is the thing. Out of all scriptural passages quoted in movies, statistically, the one most quoted in movies is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's not really how they say it, though. It's usually our Father in heaven. It's usually an austere voice that it's being read. And guess where it's mostly found in film? Funerals in westerns of all places but usually funerals usually a little bit of rain going on right that's the thing that we say in our culture people that don't even love jesus people that don't even go to church people that don't even pray they can actually do a c-plus job of quoting the lord's prayer verbatim by word right off the page it's kind of uniquely seen in our culture is the default factory setting prayer that you pray when you don't know what to pray our father, just like it says right off the paper, our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I still hear people praying it word for word right off the page as if that in and of itself is the prayer because they don't know what else to pray. And I think they get that from pop culture, from the media especially. The plane's going down, it's on fire. What do you do? Our Father in heaven, 
Hallowed be thy name. It just comes right out of our lips. The sharks are circling the lifeboat. What do we say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I think our culture in general, just in general, it kind of widely interprets what prayer is. It just depends on who you talk to. Ask people, what do you think prayer is? And you're going to get a variety of different answers. It could be humming, chanting, yelling, crying, journaling, closing your eyes, opening your eyes, eyes rolled to the back of your head, yoga poses. It could be anything and everything. It can be prayer. It's all up to you. But the thing is, is God doesn't really leave us grasping in the dark for what prayer is. But He's highly invested in how we see prayer and how we see Him in the midst of prayer. This is why it says in Deuteronomy 29, and listen, don't turn there, it'll be up on the screen. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Secret things belong to God. That's why they're secret. But the things that He reveals and He he shows us, they're actually for you to be informed by and for your kids, not just now, but forever. And prayer is one of these things. It's been revealed to us. God has not left us grasping in the dark, hoping that we find that right combination that all the pins in the lock will, will drop at the right time and all the treasures burst forth and we have all the blessings and favor from God because we figured out what rest of humanity has not been able to figure out. But that's the way prayer feels for a lot of people. So as we finish this series on stuff that Jesus has never said, one thing He has not said is that prayer is mysterious and complicated. So don't screw it up. In fact, come back when you know what you're talking about. He doesn't handle us in this way. He wants prayer to be fluid with us. He wants us to be confident in prayer. He wants us to be satisfied in prayer. Let's look at what he says in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 5. This will be the text that shows us God much more clearly and what Christ has provided us through His work on the cross. Starts off with this, And when you pray, assuming that you do, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Pause, real quick, okay? Who are the hypocrites? Pharisees. Pharisees, typically, they're both in the same sentence or at least in the same paragraph. When he's talking about the hypocrites, he's really throwing a rock at the Pharisees right now. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, and he's starting almost a separate thought here, not entirely, but a little bit. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Pause. He just switched gears. He's not talking about the hypocrites anymore. He's talking about the pagans. Total different belief system. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
This seems overly basic. We can all agree, right? In fact, if we were being totally honest, we might be a little bit bored by that little chunk of Scripture because we've heard it so many times. And it's kind of started to numb, become numb to us, especially when it's such a provocative and controversial Scripture. We miss this. We miss this. One of the things that makes reading the Bible a little bit difficult for us in our age is we fail many times at putting ourselves in the original listening audience. It's hard for us. We're, we're, not, we're not from the Middle East. We're, we're not from way back then in the Middle East. We're right here, right now. And this is one of the things that makes this passage so difficult because what Jesus was saying right here is incredibly revolutionary. I mean, it was just blowing their minds. Jaws are dropped as he teaches this. And we yawn as he teaches this. What we have to understand is Jesus is speaking to a people that all they knew about prayer, all they knew about prayer, they got from pagans and hypocrites. They're walking through their city and they walk past a, a, a pagan temple and they see long prayers that are chanted in certain ways with certain repetition and certain mechanics and format used to evoke blessing from the gods. They walk right by the temple and they see the hypocritical Pharisees standing up making a big dramatic deal about their prayers. All they know, the template, the example, everything they know about prayer, they got from pagans and hypocrites. So Jesus is effectively saying, hey, forget all of that. Don't pay attention to any of that. Everything that you've seen so far and understand about prayer, put it down. Because that's not what it is. I'm about to tell you what prayer is. Are you ready? And then he lays it out there. This is controversial. So what I want to do today, I want to work really hard at looking at this teaching a little bit differently than what we typically do. Typically, at Legacy, we'll go line by line by line by line through a text and see how it applies to us and shows us Christ more clearly. Today, I want to zoom out, maybe at 30,000 foot, and look at the whole passage by comparing our prayer life to those of pagans and hypocrites. Why? Because we're pagans and hypocrites. Very simply, we might be pagans that are gripped by grace, changed by grace, renewed daily, inwardly to look more like Christ, but we're still encrusted with sin. And we're full of hypocrisy. And everything we know about prayer, we, we get from, from our own practice and from looking at others. And what Christ is saying here is, listen, listen to me. Listen to the controversial, provocative teaching of what prayer is. You know, we're genetically connected to the original audience even though we're very disconnected over a long time in a long place but we're we're the same as they are they probably saw god as being very distant and detached because of the way they saw prayer they most likely saw god as being very unconcerned utilitarian pragmatic but isn't that the way we feel sometimes isn't it easy to feel like god is detached and unconcerned with you it, it, it can be for me and that affects the way i pray believe it or not how about being pragmatic? God is a utility God. He, he gives us what we need, and when I need something, I carry it to Him, and He guides me, and He does it. It's easy for me to do that, to approach Him pragmatically, and that affects the way I pray, just like it did these guys. So what I want you to do is we work our way through this. I want you to keep your prayer life in front of you. Keep it in your right hand and just look at it, because we're going to do an autopsy on it. And we're going to see how our hearts very simply and quickly can match up with those who are pagan, and those who are hypocritical. And just as Christ worked on their hearts, and as He led them, and as He nurtured their hearts, 
as he confronted their hearts, let him do the same to ours today. As he was very generous and very good for not leaving this a mystery, but revealing to them what prayer really is. Let him do the same for us today. I've spent a lot of time on this passage the last couple weeks, and the one thing that jumps out, it's very easy to see that pagans and hypocrites don't really see God as a father. It's the foundation to our prayer life. Seeing God as Father. This was, I think, Christ's biggest innovation on how they saw prayer. Not, not that God was just a Father, but God is your Father. There's about a handful of times, maybe a dozen, in the Old Testament where God is referred to as Father, but it was always of a nation, of like a big mass of people. He is our Father. But Christ comes and He wrecks that a little bit. And because of His life, and his work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, it changes our disposition. And no longer is he just a nation's father, he is also your father. I mean, individually, he's a personal God, not just a corporate God. This is earth-shattering to them. This is incredibly new to them. Why is this important? Because our hearts are just like theirs. Is it easy for you to see God as your father individually? Because it's kind of hard for me. I mean, I know God is my Father because I believe the Bible, and Christ almost exclusively calls Him Father. Six times just in this passage alone, right? But isn't it easy to feel like you're an illegitimate child sometimes? Like you're in the family, but not really. And eventually the music's going to stop, everyone's going to have a chair but you, and it's going to be revealed that you just don't fit. God is the family's Father, but not really my father individually it's easy for me to be there but god is excited about you i'm going to read a couple passages i want you to get this he's excited about you he's excited about you he loves you he's a personal loving good kind father he doesn't just tolerate you you know, I was having, I didn't even ask him for permission, but I was having breakfast with Brian Rowe this week, and he brought up a quote that he heard. I think he originally came up with it, and he was just too humble to say it was his idea. But he said, he said, God does not like a future version of you. He likes you. He doesn't love just a future version of you. He loves you. Man, that wrecked me all day. It's all I could think about. God is excited about you. It's important that you know this. In Matthew 7, it says this in verse 7. It starts off, Ask, Christ is teaching, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now listen, this is where you're going to see the heart of God a little bit as a father. You want to pick this up. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Obviously the rhetorical answer is no, no one. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? No, no, you wouldn't. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God is good to you. He is a good Father. And that's why he doesn't give you everything you ask for. <laughs> he doesn't do it because he's good to you. Keller, Tim Keller talks about this when he says this, God being such a good father tries to give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. Think about this. He tries to give us what we would have asked 
for if we knew everything he knew, or he gives us what we are after, even though he won't give it, we ask for it. What he's saying is this, God looks at you, and he says, listen, if you knew what I knew right now, you wouldn't be asking for that. You wouldn't be asking for that, so trust me, as my will takes precedent over yours. If you knew what I knew, this wouldn't be on the radar. Or, he says, hey, I like where you're going. I like where you're going with this. Good motive, good stuff going on, but what you're asking for, well, you don't know. It's, it's not really where we need to go, so let me come in and help. Let me come in and kind of swap that out. It's good for you that we do this. That's his disposition towards us. You know, my son, he does this, he, he does airsoft. Do you all know what airsoft is? Anyone ever heard of what airsoft is? Okay, a few of you. Okay, airsoft is sweeping the globe, so ready yourself, okay? Because apparently it's a big deal now. When he was a kid, he wanted an airsoft gun, and an airsoft gun is a gun that weighs about as much and looks pretty much similar to a real gun. So if you held an AR-15 airsoft gun, it looks like a legitimate AR-15, and he wanted one of these, right? Now, as a good father in the early days, I would say no. Not because it was a bad thing. It was just wrong for him. He was going to shoot a window out or an eye out or I just know one of the girls would be screaming. He'd shoot one of the girls. Something would happen. He just was not there for it, right? He wasn't ready for it. It wasn't a bad thing. I even knew what his heart wanted. It wanted adventure. It wanted competition. It wanted to get dirty with his friends. It wanted to dodge bullets. I mean, that's all inside of a, of a young man, and I understood that. So it wasn't the airsoft was bad. It just wasn't good for him. But now he has a little bit of an arsenal. <laughs> now it's Quite a bit later, he has a sniper rifle. He's been camouflaging his guns. Now if it's laying in a pile of leaves, you're not going to see it, right? It's got laser paint and a laser scope and custom handle, and it's over the top, right? So when I'm doing yard work, if he's out there with his friends, I have to announce myself. When I come around the corner, oh, they'll light me up. I'll get throttled out there, and it hurts. Now what has changed? Has my love as a father changed? Have I just gotten so lenient because I don't love him as much? Or do I love him more? Mother, I, I love him and now it's a good thing for him. Earlier it wasn't a good thing for him. And my love said no. Later, I still love him and my love says yes. You see, sometimes we ask for good things, but we have bad motives. Maybe there's an idol involved. Maybe your sin nature is heavily recruited in the effort. You want something good, like a wife or a husband, or you want to grow a church, or you want a new car or a new job. You want something that in and of itself is not a bad thing, but there's an idol issue and you want it for a bad reason, and God will tell you no out of love for you because he's a good father. And sometimes you want a bad thing, but you have a good heart. And you don't know it's bad. Maybe there's not an idle issue. Maybe you just don't have all the intel that you need. Maybe, maybe something else is going on. But he will also tell you no. And he can sort through all of that because he's brilliant and he's good. Hey, and sometimes you don't even know what to ask for. Sometimes you don't even know what to say. And he is still good. He is still a good father. That He could take all of this. Good motives, bad motives, good things, bad things. You don't even know what to say. And as a father, he can look through all of that and love you perfectly. Perfectly. This is what it says in Romans 8. I love this passage. In verse 26, it'll be up on the screen, so don't worry about turning there. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Pause real quick. 
There is a Trinitarian involvement in prayer, right? Most people don't look at this. There was a Trinitarian involvement in the creation of the universe, a Trinitarian involvement in your salvation as a Christian, right? Um, it was by the will of God, through the power and the work of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we see a, 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 a very mutual arrangement. But also here in prayer, we see a Trinitarian investment. Because we pray to God the Father through the name and the work of Christ, by the empowering role of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is involved in how we pray. So when we pray, we pray to God the Father. Okay? Well, how, how do we have permission to do that? Through the person of Christ. How do I know what to say? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? God is good to us. That's a side trail. I'm going to keep going. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What is this talking about? It's talking about, largely, it's talking about those moments where you can't put two words together. You've had them. You know you should be praying. You're trying to lift it up to God, but you don't even know what to say. Should I ask? Should I not? I don't, even, I don't even know. It's just those moments where you say, God, you, God, you see this. God, you see, I don't, what, what do we, those moments, the whole, God is so good to you that in prayer, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, interpreting your heart. God understanding His own Spirit hears your prayers. Even when you struggle through this, that's how good He is as a father. I can't do that with my kids. Sometimes I'm like, use your words. Use your words. I can't. I don't understand. Slow down. Slow down. God's good. What I want you to see so far is you are highly regarded. God regards you more than you regard yourself, and that's difficult because we're a very self-fascinated people. But God regards us more than we regard ourselves, and He cares for us and intimately attaches Himself to us. Tim Keller, he goes on to say this about prayer. He says, if God is my boss or my employer, then even though he might be a good boss or a good employer, nevertheless, in the end, he is not unconditionally committed to me. So if I act up, I might get one demerit or I might get two demerits, but eventually he has the right to terminate me. But God doesn't attach himself to us as an employer or a boss or a school principal or a coach or some sort of an overlord but as Father. You've got to get this. This is the basement and the foundation of all prayer. If you're a parent in the house, you know the statement is true. When I say being a parent equals being inconvenienced. Right? Right? I know I'm not alone. Right? Being a parent means being inconvenienced. But God, being a perfect Father, is not inconvenienced by you. He's excited about you. Quite excited about you. So whenever you pray, you are not carrying your prayers up to middle management. You're not carrying your prayers to a stickler, principal, or coach, or boss, hoping that they're having a good day. Maybe if you phrase it just right, you could take the cold edge off of it. But to a father. i got to move on. Pagans and hypocrites. They also use prayer for reputation. Not only did they have a difficult time seeing God as Father, they would actually manipulate and abuse their prayer 
to use it to bolster their reputation and increase their draft stock. That's why they did it in public. They would do it in public so everybody could see it. Everybody could hear them because then you look more spiritually mature, don't you? When you're not afraid to pray in front of other people. So Christ sweeps in, provocatively says, hey, keep it between you and me. I am your only audience. It's just me. I'm the only one that's listening. He doesn't say don't pray in public because we see even the Lord's Prayer that we just read, it actually has a plural component to it. Our daily bread. Our debts. Our temptations. This, is, could, this means it could be prayed um, as a representative. You can as a representative pray for a group in public or not. But there is a difference between praying in front of a large group and having a large audience and praying in front of a large group and having a singular audience. There's a big difference. So I have to ask you, what do your prayers sound like in public? And do they sound different than your prayers in private? I mean, do you turn the gloss on a little bit? You know what I mean? You sound a little bit more refined. You polish up the phrases. You might change your posture a little bit. Friends, listen, if you do this even a little bit, and it's easy to do, you're just struggling with the same thing these pagans and hypocrites were struggling with. You're just struggling with the same thing. Maybe some of you are on the opposite end of the scale, and you don't even like to pray in public. I've bumped into you many times. Luke, I don't like to pray in front of people. Why? Because then they'll look at me. It's the same thing. It's just a reputation battle. People will look at me. No, that's correct. But you pray in private, right? Yes, I pray privately. Well, just the same thing in public. It's the same audience. Your audience hasn't changed. There's just more people listening to you pray to the same person that you've always prayed to, and that's the person of God. Hasn't changed. What I love about what Jesus has done on the cross is it's replaced my reputation. Christ is my new reputation, which means in a good day, when I'm thinking more from a gospel central place, what you think of me is irrelevant. Jesus' reputation has made your view of me irrelevant because I wear the identity of Christ. God sees me, and if you're a Christian, he sees you with the same tenor and love as he sees his very own son with whom he is well pleased. Okay? He sees you with that level of love, and if that is true, and if you can be satisfied with that, how he sees you, you don't need to feed off the horizontal reputation and love you get from others. That's what I love about this. Another thing pagans and hypocrites would use their prayer for was not just reputation, but for magic. Magic. You could say certain things for a certain amount of time in a certain pattern, with a certain repetition, in a certain way, with a certain format that will get God to listen extra clear. As if you're praying and he doesn't really hear you, but if you pray a certain way, he goes, oh, wait, 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 I heard that. I heard that. Whatever you're doing, keep that up over there. I heard that. I heard that. Whatever you're doing, it's working. As if God is limited like that. Listen, there's nothing wrong with praying long prayers. Jesus did that. He prayed through the night. There's nothing wrong with praying with some repetition. Jesus repeated himself a couple times. So did Paul. There's nothing wrong with that. What Christ is saying here is he's laying out and saying, the format of your prayers, the format does not unlock certain blessings. There's no special format, just a special relationship. No special format, just a special relationship. So length gets you no extra credit. 
Saying certain phrases in a certain way gets you no extra credit. There's no abracadabra or secret handshake that done a certain way gets God's extra heavy glare. This might not need any application for some of you, but because some of you have grown up in maybe more of a traditional um, church experience, but if you have not, maybe you've prayed or have struggled with prayer and had somebody come up and offer a little turbo boost, a little way you can modify your prayer so that God hears it extra clear, right? Here's some I've had over the last 17 years. <laughs> well, Luke, did you pray in the name of Jesus? I don't know. I'm pretty sure I might have said that. I, I think I did. Look, if you didn't pray in the name of Jesus, then it's not going to happen. You know, God can't hear it unless you said, in the name of Jesus. It must be said clearly like that, or God will not hear it. Here's another one. Did you mean it? <laughs> did you mean it? Well, I prayed for it. Well, did it happen? No, it didn't. Probably didn't mean it. Like, really mean it. Here's another one. Did you have sin in your life? As if there was a time where I've never had sin in my life. <laughs> right? Were you fasting? Because if you're hungry when you pray, God sees it more than whenever you're full. That's not to demean fasting, by the way. It's just to demean the idea that we can magically manipulate God to listen more clearly to our prayers. How about this one? Were you on your knees when you prayed? Invoking the idea that posture averts God's glare. But here is my personal favorite, and I heard this from a mega pastor in a personal conversation. Was it out loud or was it in your mind? Luke, do you like to try to read other people's minds? Well, no, I don't like to do that. Well, God doesn't like to read your mind. So <laughs> that's what he said to me. So if you want God to hear your prayers, you need to pray out loud. Get it out of your mind. Listen, friends, I don't know what it is for you. It's probably not even on that list. Those were all a little goofy, but they, they were true, though. Those were all true. <laughs> but do you do anything to modify it, thinking this will get his attention? This will be the thing. If I say it this way, or I do it this long, you know, I'm not going to pray for 10 minutes for this. I'm going to pray for 10 hours for this. And then God hears me. Listen, it's just a special relationship that gets God's ear, not a special format. All right? I don't listen to my kids because they come in and they kiss the golden scepter and they prostrate themselves right there on the, on the floor and they chant something 68 times, please fix my bike, please fix my bike, please fix my bike. I don't look at that and go, that's all you had to do, I've been waiting. Why do I listen to them? Because they're my kiddos. Because I'm their father. Because I love them. Now listen, Jesus teaches a loose format here, but there's a bunch of leash. There is format to the Lord's Prayer. Some of you, you have a left brain like I do. I don't have hardly any right brain. It's mostly left brain up here. And so I immediately saw the pattern, right? And scholars will show you as well, there are six parts to this. The first three, posture your heart as you worship and adore God. The last three pertain to our own natural needs here. So our God, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And then it switches over to give us this day our daily bread. So it's changed subject, right? Forgive us as we forgive others and deliver us from temptation. So there is some format in here, right? But prayer does not always fit perfectly into your hour of power every morning. 
Your nice, neat, little tucked-in devotional. It doesn't always fit like that, does it? Ask Nehemiah. He had what scholars call a bullet prayer or an arrow prayer because they didn't have guns back then, and I get it. But bullet's fine for us, right? We're under his breath, probably in his mind. He's like, here we go, God. I hope you're with me. He didn't have time to go through all six parts of this. He didn't stop and go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay, our Father in heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallowed be, I'm out of time. Okay, here it is. Jesus prayed through the night. Do you think he diced it up into six perfectly divided segments of time? I think... And I wasn't going to say this, but listen, if, if you do pray this prayer right off the page, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thine. I mean, is, that, is there, are there any harm or damage in that? P- probably not. I don't think so. I don't think you're doing anything heretical or unbiblical. But I think it's lacking some, how do I say this? It's lacking some content, maybe some guts. If I were to come up to you and say, hey, listen, the craziest thing happened to me yesterday. I've got to tell you. I've been waiting for you to walk in. Listen to this. You're never going to believe this. Introduction. Compelling body paragraph one. Substantiating body paragraph two. Provocative third body paragraph. And a summarizing conclusion. And then I'd flip around and walk off. You'd be like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I didn't get it. I get the structure of it, and I understand that there is an introduction and there's a lot of body to it and there's probably a hook and a punchline and a climax and, and a point to it. I wanted to hear it. What, what's your story? And I think a lot of times when we just quote that right off the page, I think that's what we're doing. I think this is a loose skeletal framework for us to hang flesh on as we relate to God as a father, a loving God. Pagans and hypocrites, they would also use prayer not to just magically get what they want and not to just bolster their reputation but they'd also try to manipulate god to enforce their own will right they wanted their will to be done and they wanted god to do it this is why i think christ says your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right now if i've got to be totally honest with you right now and saying this is where i struggle the most out of all what i believe at least now in this point in life out of all the, the Lord's Prayer, when I look at it and self-assess, this is where I fail the most. Why? Because I want my will to be done. Very simply. I want my will to be done. I want my kingdom to grow. I want my kingdom to become victorious and conquer all other kingdoms. And this part of the prayer invites me to lay my will down at the feet of Jesus' will and let it die. This is where my will goes to die. And I don't like that. I'm okay with God's will as long as it looks just like mine. But as soon as my will starts to look a little bit different than His, I don't trust His, I trust mine. And I want mine and I want it now. This is where I struggle. The good news for me and the good news for you is we have a king who has a kingdom and it's better than our kingdom. His will is better than ours, and His kingdom is better than ours. In His kingdom, those who are in turmoil, they have peace. Those who can't see clearly, they get sight. Those who are imprisoned, they get set free. Those who have debt, get the debt erased. Those who are dead, get raised back to life. You see the gospel attributes invade wherever His kingdom is. So this part of the prayer is 
very much where we just say, God, your, your will and your kingdom is much better than mine. And wherever your kingdom shows up, beautiful things happen. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's very simply what's going on here. Do we enjoy this part, though? Not so much, right? And in fact, most world religions, it's all bent around making God's will fit our will, right? Or no, let me, I said that backwards. It's making our will predominate over God's will. That's what most world religions are. Imposing your will, inserting your will, investing your will in, and expecting God to deliver. Christianity is a little bit different in the fact that we are prayerfully trusting His will to be predominant over ours. See, prayer is not altering God's view. It's not changing God, it's changing us. It alters us, it alters our view. Pagans and hypocrites. They've felt that the best prayers came from the cleanest people. Dirty people need not apply. That if you're dirty, God benches your prayer until you clean yourself, and then He hears you clearly, right? Then He's listening. But the gospel news for us is that prayer, as the gospel, is only for the dirty. The good news of God isn't for the clean. They're in no need of it. They don't, they don't see a need for it. They're self-sufficient. But the gospel and prayer is only for the dirty, only for the scandalous, only for the beat up, only for the tired, only for those who look at their lives and say, I have lack and I don't have it together. I mean, think about that. I mean, if you're a parent here, you're going to get this. If you, if you had parents, you, you will probably get this. But if you have a kid that comes off the rails a little bit, I'll just tell you as a father... Now, whether it's because they slammed into teenage years or whatever, there's rebellion of sorts, but anytime a kid comes off the rails, they get more of my attention. They get more of my concern. They get more of my involvement. Not less. They don't get benched. They get my gaze. They get my love. They get my heart. Why? Because I'm their dad. I'm their father. They're my kids. I love them. I'm not bumping them to junior varsity because they couldn't clean it up. I'm not listening to them less. We're not at the dinner table and one's trying to talk and I'm like, so anyway, someone else was talking over here. I didn't even hear this person talking because they had a bad day at school today. You know, that would be weird. They get more of my involvement. The truth of the gospel is we pray as dirty ones through the undirty one. The one who is never dirty the one who never sins our prayers are to god through his son by the power of the holy spirit and it's a very beautiful thing because what jesus did on the cross and out of a vacant tomb as he did that it brought us into a new family where we have a father we have royal blood coursing through our veins if you're a part of the church of god a, a family that <laughs> you couldn't be born into but you could be reborn into. This is what the Bible calls adoption. Grafted into a family of no business being in by the grace of God. This is the gospel lens of adoption. But God's proximity also changed. Originally, we had declared war on Him, and He is a warrior king, and now He's become a loving Father. His disposition is he's not so distal. He's now proximal. And what is that called? It's called reconciliation. Enemies becoming friends. That's the gospel lens there. And then we also had debt. Debt. Heavy debt. 
Y'all know what debt's like, right? You get the notices in the mail? They tell you everything you spent that puts you further in debt. Could you imagine if that ever happened with sin? Everything you thought, didn't think, did, didn't do? If you got a notice every month on the 30th or whatever of every month and you looked and it showed you everything you thought or did that month and it just started to accrue interest and stack up, it'd be depressing. Jesus pays it, wipes it out, and then gives us a positive balance, by the way. So the idea of the gospel isn't that he just blanks us and says, you're not in the red anymore. You're now right on the, on the line. He actually gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. So we've been given a positive balance, not just blanked even, right? What is this called? It's called Jesus was our ransom. The gospel's beautiful. The ransom is real particular to us here in the Lord's Prayer because Jesus is teaching us to forgive those who owe us debt. Now, it's so much talking about monetary debt dead he's talking about people who have offended you and you feel like they owe you he's saying listen forgive them forgive them look at your spiritual ledger look at your balance sheet your profit and loss statements there's all profit no loss on your statement and it drives us towards forgiveness pagans and hypocrites and i love how he finishes the lord's prayer with this and this is how we're going to finish today too But pagans and hypocrites, they prayed after they failed in temptation, not before. This is a a cool little teaching. I love this part about, he says, lead us not into temptation. Now people struggle with this a little bit because they would say, well, Luke, that nuances and indicates that that God can lead us into temptation. God leads us into sin and expects us to sin. But that's not what's going on right here. If you were to rip the language apart to the original hearers and translate it to us today in the modern day, it would sound a little bit more like, I don't want to walk away, so keep me close. I don't want to get far from you, so grab me and pull me tight. This is how Robert Robinson said it 260 years ago. He was a 22-year-old that wrote the hymn, Come Thou Font. <laughs> y'all remember what y'all did when y'all were 22? <laughs> I wasn't writing hymns. I love this. He says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lead me not into temptation. I pray this a lot. I need to pray it more. God, you know my heart. You know what it's capable of. You you know. You've seen it. God, it's so easy for me to stagger and move away, to depart, to leave, to leak away from you. Draw me close. Help me see. Don't let me destroy myself. We wander and stray, and God, as a good father, goes after his kids and pulls them back into the fold, goes after his sheep and pulls them back into the fold. And what does the Bible call this? Rescue. Jesus is our rescue. Jesus is our adoption. He is our ransom. He is our reconciliation. He is our rescue. A lot has been afforded to us in prayer because of what Christ has done. And we're praying to a Father. You know, this is, and I look forward to this too, there will be a day where we see God and worship Him directly. Try to wrap your minds around this. You won't need to pray anymore. Give us this day our daily bread. That's gone strike that why 
because you have everything you need. You're in the presence of God. Those days are over. You won't have those kinds of needs ever again. His will will be done because it will be as heaven on earth. Nothing will conflict with that. There won't be any dead anymore. Unforgiveness. We'll all be gone. See, in the end of all ends, the Lord's prayer changes because death will be put in its grave. Death will be done. And when this happens, we won't stop being intimate with God. We won't stop talking and reflecting and worshiping. That won't stop. We just join a bigger chorus that's been going on since before creation. Since before God said, let there be light, there was chorus, there was angelic hosts, there were, there, there's always a voice describing God's glory, and we will be a part of that, grafted into a song that's been sung for a long time as we see His magnificent robes fill the whole glorious place, and we look and we sing and we cry out and we discover new levels of glory after new levels of glory after new levels of glory, and it will go on and on and on. And Jesus comes and says to a bunch of pagans and hypocrites in this, you can start now. And this is what it looks like. You have a father. You have a father. And I'm about to do something that is going to connect you to that father forever. And the Holy Spirit will enable you, empower you to pray. Listen, some of you, as we, and we're about to, I'll tell you, we'll go ahead and stand up because we're going to finish right here. This is a good place to stop. Some of you are going to need to look at this time of worship. So we, as, as David had brought up, we use this time to worship God through song, but also communion back there. So we have bread, we have juice, and all that is is a, pic, a picture of the gospel. It's a pictorial gospel where we try to take it with people if possible. If you could take it with a roommate or family, that would be great. If not, that's totally fine, right? And as you take this, really, really think about what we're talking about. What do you need to turn from? When you ask yourself, do I use prayer to, to increase my reputation? Do I use prayer as a magic trick? Do I use prayer to manipulate my will? Which one do I do? The answer for me is all three, if I look hard enough. This is, a, this is an opportunity for many of us to confess where we have abused prayer. Maybe it's because it's just all we ever knew and it's what we grow up he hearing or seeing on TV or in churches or whatever. But this gives us an opportunity to look at it freshly. You're coming to a father. A father. Some of you have been praying for things for a really long time and you're not getting anything. You're not getting what you've prayed for. You don't know why. Can you worship a God that you trust? Can you trust His will over yours? Can you trust that He's good? And he loves you so much. But Luke, you don't know what I'm praying for. I'm praying for some really big things and he's not giving them to me. That's because he loves you. That's because he loves you ferociously and he regards you and he's excited about you. And then some of you, I know in here, feel like you've never even really prayed before. I mean, you've said stuff out of your mouth, but in the back of your mind you're thinking, is that a prayer? I don't even know. I mean, that's what I hear other people doing, and that's what I see on TV. I just assume that's what a prayer is. I hope God heard it. The man upstairs, I hope the man upstairs heard that. And you're not really even sure if you've ever prayed before. Man, I would like to invite you 
to pray today. Don't worry about taking communion. We would rather you take Christ. Take Jesus today. Take Jesus as your identity. Take Jesus as your king. Take Jesus as your sacrifice that you would know a Father God. That He would change His posture from warrior, from detached, from just unconcerned, distant, in the foggy distance to someone very close, very personal, very excited, very interested in you. That all happens through the cross. That all happens through laying your sins down. That all happens by taking your crown off and putting it at His feet while He wears the ultimate crown as King of all creation, even your life. Pray today. We will have people around. I'll be at the back. Kevin will be at the back. Wes will be here at the back. If you need someone to talk to about that, to sort through that, we are here to help you. Okay. Let me pray for you. Father, you're a very good and kind God. Lord, that you know what we're going to pray for even now. Even before you said, let there be light. Before you poured the oceans. Before birds started flying and before people started breathing, you knew what we would pray 20 years from now. God, you are always in control. And you're a good father. A good father. Lord, I have to thank you now for not giving me 99% of the things I've asked for. (laughs) Because I know I've had bad heart many times and I know I've just asked for bad things many times. God, thank you for being so good that you don't abandon me. Even if I am a, a dirty son, you don't see us that way. You don't see me that way. Thank you for listening with a big ear. Thank you for having a long arm. Lord, I thank you for teaching us what prayer looks like. I can struggle at prayer for the rest of my life, Father, but I don't have to struggle in what it looks like because you've shown us clearly. It's for me and my kids forever to understand that. So, Father, as we worship you today, reveal to us, show us where we manipulate you, where we sin against you. Lord, reveal to us where we, where we try to do cute little tricks to our prayers so that you move a little bit faster. Lord, help us see where we've not seen you as Father but we've seen you as some, some other weird version of authority. Lord, help us to see where we've gone wrong with prayer. Not that we impress you more with our prayer, but that we could get closer with you through prayer. God, thank you so much. You're so good to us that you would visit us. You would visit mankind as a Savior, as a King, as a Shepherd. You would teach and confront and show us how to relate more to you and to each other. We love you, God, and it's in your glorious Son's name we pray. Amen.